well, it's good for this third hour. It's uh, uh, been a while since I preached three sermons on Sunday mornings, but I've enjoyed two so far, and you've listened well, and you've been patient, and I appreciate that. Uh, we're going to continue our theme of Jesus and the man Jesus. And we want to talk now about Jesus as our lawgiver. Uh, if you would, turn to James chapter 4. James, the fourth chapter and verse 12. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgeth another? Some brethren have difficulty in applying this passage to Jesus because they have the idea they will apply it to the Father because they have the idea that Jesus, when he came, that he came to fulfill the law, all law, and that he, uh, his system is not a system of law, but a system of grace. And that since it's a system of grace, we're not any longer under law of any kind. But I believe it's fairly evident that he's referring to the lawgiver here as Jesus Christ. And he's the lawgiver who in also will judge us, as we'll notice in a moment, by the perfect law of liberty. Uh, and I have a difficulty understanding how anybody could say after having read the New Testament through that Jesus was not a lawgiver and that the New Testament is not a system of law of some kind. And uh, a lot is made of the fact that sometimes the article the, the definite article the is not used with law. And when it just says law without the article, that it means law of any kind. Uh, but it has the uh, before it. It specifies a particular law, and that's when it's referring to, referring to the law of Moses. But there's some problems with that if you study it closely. Uh, in, like in Romans uh, 6 and verse 14, he says, Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but grace. The original text doesn't have the in there. The original text has uh, just under law. Uh, and Galatians chapter 5, 4, uh, the uh, Christ is become of no effect unto you, whosoever you are justified by the law, you're fallen from grace. Again, the original text just says law. But I, if you'll notice the context of both those passages, he's talking about the law of Moses. The context uh, will describe it as the law of Moses when the the is not necessarily uh, in the text. Uh, 
And Paul did not always use uh, consistently the uh, article uh, to show when he was talking about the law of Moses and just law in general. Uh, and as the idea is, if he didn't use the the, he's saying that we're not under law any, of any kind. But if he uses the, we're not under the law, that is the law of Moses. But in uh, Romans 2 and verse 12, for instance, he says, For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. The, the, he used the law in the last phrase and just law without the article in the first. But when you get into the text uh, of it, into the original text, the the is not in the original text in the last part either. He's just saying law, but the translators understood he's talking about the law of Moses, so they evidently put it in. But we have sinned without law, also perished without law. And uh, he, we'll talk more about that in a moment. In 1 Corinthians 9, 20 and 21, And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, they might gain them that are under the law. And to them that are without law, as without law. Then he says in parenthesis, being not without law to God, but under the law of Christ, that I might gain them that are without. So here in this text, he said they may be without law, but they're not completely. They're under the law of Christ. Uh, and the truth of the matter is that most of the time, the is not in the original text. Uh, sometimes it is, but you go more by context than you do by whether it's these there or the is not. And in these cases, the context shows that he's talking about the law of Moses. And uh, here he says, even those that are in Christ are under Christ. That he was, he was talking about the Gentiles, uh, particularly that were without law. But he says they're not, but they're now, they're not without law to God, but under law to Christ. To consistently uh, drop the ark leaves the wrong impression uh, when you're talking about the law. Uh, they reject the what they call rule keeping and pattern theology. The New Testament is not that kind of book, we say. It's not a book of rules to obey. It's not a pattern that you have to follow. Rather, it's love letters. Love letters that uh, the uh, apostles wrote to churches and individuals to express their love for them and their love for Christ. But it was never intended to be a book of rules or a book of, pa of patterns. Uh, so, uh, to respond to love and not law is the order of the day. Uh, but, and we also hear legalists and legalism uh, tossed around a lot. Uh, and our, they say, our joy in Christ is hindered by looking at the law, uh, looking at the New Testament as law, as a 
a system uh, that's of legal uh, laws and rules and all of that. So the idea is that freedom in Christ is a free spirit unshackled by the laws and the regulations of any kind. And in this rest of this lesson, I want to uh, give some good reasons to consider Jesus as uh, a giver of law and the gospel as being law of some kind. Uh, there are three reasons uh, that I want to give through uh, this uh, discussion as to why we are under the under law of some kind today and that the New Testament is a system of law, not like the Old Testament system of law, different from it, but still a system of law nonetheless. And where you've got a system of law, you've got a system that has rules. You have a system that has patterns that need to be followed. Uh, when Isaiah was prophesying concerning the uh, coming of the uh, kingdom, or as, the, as he called it, the mountain of the Lord's house, when he prophesied that in Isaiah chapter 2 and 1 through 4, he incorporated law in that which was to come, which was the fulfillment of his prophecy. If you'll notice, he said in the first four verses of Isaiah 2, the word that Isaiah, uh, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, it should come past in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. Now most people recognize and uh, will admit uh, that is most who are Christians will uh, recognize and admit that was a prophecy concerning the coming kingdom or the uh, establishment of the church. And notice in verse 3, and many people shall go and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Whatever that word that was to go forth from Jerusalem after the establishment of the church or the kingdom uh, is referred to as the law. The law. He says, go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations, shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and so on. But law was incorporated in the prophecy of Isaiah concerning the coming kingdom or the uh, New Testament age. Uh, Micah, uh, prophesies almost word for word uh, as did Isaiah when he said in Micah 4 2 the law shall go forth of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem and we all recognize I think or we should that the gospel or the law that went forth to Jerusalem is fulfilled in Acts chapter uh, 2 and in chapter 1 he said Jesus said, You shall receive power from the Holy Ghost. It shall come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, all Judea, and Samaria, 
and the uttermost parts of the earth. That's Acts 1 and verse 8. Uh, so ye shall receive power. And what shall happen? Uh, you'll be witness to me both in Jerusalem, all Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. That which went forth from Jerusalem was that law that Isaiah prophesied and Micah prophesied concerning. And then when you read the book of Acts, the rest of it, the book of Acts from uh, Acts chapter 2 is an account of the spread of the gospel uh, after the church was established and the kingdom came into being and how it went to the uttermost parts of the world. Paul preached it, uh, others preached it, and had uh, covered the um, pretty much the known world in the first century. As a matter of fact, Paul wrote that had been preached to the whole creation under heaven in uh, the first part of uh, Colossians, the first chapter, about verse 13. So whatever went forth uh, from Jerusalem is the law. What law? Not the law of Moses but the law of Christ that was to go forth from Jerusalem. Not only that, the, uh, when Jeremiah uh, prophesied of a new covenant in Jeremiah the 31st chapter, and you can begin reading that in verse 31, uh, Jeremiah, uh, he, he says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Then he goes on to point out various aspects of that new covenant. And then he says in verse 33, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. That which would be put in their inward parts, that which would be written on their hearts, was his law. It was law of some kind that was to be written on the hearts of those who uh, went forth. The Hebrew writer, in uh, quoting this and showing the fulfillment of it, says, uh, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. That's Hebrews 8, verse 10. Uh, in those days, saith the Lord, I'll put my laws into their hearts, same thing, and write them in their hearts. And I'll be to them a God, and they will be my people. I, I believe a contrast is made here uh, between the giving of the law and the uh, of Moses and the giving of the law of Christ. Uh, he mentions on occasion about that which is engraved in stone. Uh, the first law, the law of Moses, the, the entire law was sim symbolized by the Ten Commandments that was engraved on stone, uh, written on stone by the hand of God. And that symbolized the entirety of the Old Testament law. And now this new law would be different. It would not be written on stone it be written on hearts. And I believe that's reference to the fact that the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, wrote on the hearts of those who delivered the New Testament law by inspiration, uh, delivered that revelation to them, 
and by inspiration they spoke it and they uh, wrote it because it had been written on their hearts by the intervention of the Holy Spirit. And of course, by extension, uh, we have it written on our hearts when we read it, we understand it and we obey it. But uh, you have two laws under consideration. That law symbolized by stone and you've got another law symbolized by that which is written on the hearts, uh, the new covenant. But nonetheless, he says, and my laws will be in their mind and, and write them on their hearts rather than on stone. Uh, and I will be to them a God and they should be to me a people. Uh, the New Testament writers themselves confirmed by various expressions that they understood and believed that they were under law of some kind. And they confirmed that this is an age of law back to the book of Romans, the third chapter. In the third chapter of Romans, uh, he raised the question of boasting. And he makes it clear that a Christian does not have the right to boast of his salvation in a matter of grace and so on. But notice in 27th verse of uh, Romans 3, where is the boasting then? It is excluded one who is saved by the, the blood of Christ, by the mercy of God, by His grace, has no right to boast. As a matter of fact, if he were to do all things commanded him, Luke 17, 10 says, he still doesn't have a right to boast. He still has no right to, because it's still by the mercy and the grace of God that he has the means and the plan by which he can be saved. But anyway, he says in this passage, where is the boasting? Where is excluded? By what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. There is the law of faith, the system of faith in Christ. The system by which we are saved by faith in Christ is a system of law. But he says it's by the law of faith. Then in the 8th chapter, in verse 2 of Romans, he refers to it, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. It's referred to as the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Uh, Paul had just got through in the seventh chapter of Romans talking about the struggle he had while he was under the law and how he desired to do good but he was not able to accomplish it while he was under that law. And he a lot of things he would not do, he did, and that which uh, he would do, he didn't, while still under that law. And then he goes on to point out that though he was trying to do what's right, there was a law, he calls it a law, that was in his members that kept him from doing that which is right, and he calls it the law of sin and death. So that law in his members, the law of sin and death, that law that, as it were, that pulled him away from doing what was right, uh, he said was in his members. But he won't know who would deliver him from that law. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, the Lord, in the latter part of the chapter. And then he goes on starting the chapter, uh, for there is now, as opposed to then, while he was back under the law, uh, as, as opposed to then, now there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. For 
the law of the spirit of life in Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, he said Jesus, of course, came and died that we might have life. <coughs> That's paraphrasing it, of course. But anyway, they, he's, he's dealing here in three laws. He's dealing with what he calls the law of sin and death, that, that principle of the uh, law in his, that he was subject to under the old law, and it brought the end of it was death. It, uh, there had to be some relief uh, from it. There was not the forgiveness that you have under the New Testament law. There was not the taking away of sins that there be remembered no more under the old law. You had a token forgiveness, but they still, as it were, the sins were still on the books, and they still had to be taken away with the blood of Christ. But he said, now, that's not so. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. That is, that uh, law of sin and death has always pulled him to do wrong. And so he says it's made me free. For what the law, now there's your law of Moses, could not do, it couldn't make you free from that law of sin and death in your members. But now, uh, what the law could not do, Jesus Christ does it. He does it how? Through the spirit, uh, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus a system of law of a different kind. Then going on down in the same chapter uh, 8, verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So they that are in the flesh cannot praise God. So again, he says the carnal mind, the carnal-minded person, he, he cannot, uh, he's enemy against God. And as long as he's in that condition, he uh, is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. It's not saying that one cannot change. He can. But he is uh, not subject to the law of God in that he has not submitted himself to God's law. And as long as he's in the carnal mind, he doesn't do that but he turns his mind towards spiritual things, he will submit himself to the law of God and be obedient to that. And that which he submits himself is to the gospel. And it's a law uh, of God. It has a sense of law about it. Galatians 6, 2. Bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. James 1 and verse 25. But whosoever looketh to the perfect law of liberty and committeth and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. What do you think that James will be writing about uh, looking into the perfect law of liberty? The Old Testament? Hardly. He's talking about the New Testament law. <coughs> and whosoever looks into the, because the law of liberty, uh, and continue therein, being not a forgetful here, but he doeth the work. Then he says in verse 12 of the second chapter, So speak and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. We'll be judged by law, we are to obey law. That is the law of liberty. That law which brings us freedom in Christ, freedom, freedom from sin, but being free from sin does not mean that we have absolute freedom where we have no obligation. 
Uh, Romans 6 points out that when you uh, became, gave up being the servants of uh, unrighteousness or servants of disobedience, you became servants of obedience. You became servants of God. All right. Here's a point I want to note. That sin and grace necessarily implies law. Sin and grace necessitates law. You can't have both without law of some kind. First of all, sin is a transgression of the law. Without law, you can have no sin. Notice what he says in 1 John 3, verse 4. Whosoever committed sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. Then he says, where there's no law, there's no sin. Notice in uh, Romans 4, 15. Because the law worketh wrath, and where no law is, there's no transgression. Then the fifth chapter, verse 13. Until the law, he's talking about the law of Moses, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. What he's saying is that even before the law came into the world, that is the law of Moses, there was sin. That means that they were under the law of some kind, and we call it the patriarchal law. They were under the law of some kind before the law came. But it also shows that we are now under the law of some kind because sin is not imputed where there is no law. So if there's no law under this dispensation, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Do as you please. Because there's no law. That's not what the Bible teaches. But sin is Im not imputed. It would not be held against you if there's no law. But if there is law, then you sin from time you, when you violate it. But Notice this. Without sin, there's no grace. There's no need for grace without sin. Uh, notice Romans 5.20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. And where sin abounded, the grace much more abound. The law entered that, uh, that transgression might abound. When the law that is the law of uh, Moses entered. Uh, it brought a increase in law breaking. Think about it a minute. Re read your first part of your Bible. Read back under the patriarchal age, uh, and then start with Moses and read forward. And which age had more laws? Law of Moses or the patriarchal? The law of Moses uh, had all of these regulations and all of these things that, uh, involved. So naturally, when you've got more laws, you've got more violations of law. Sin uh, does abound. Let me illustrate it. If the city of Columbus here, suppose they wiped away all the laws on the books. They had no, no law on the books. And uh, then you don't have no crime. 
you, you, you'd have no uh, problems uh, along that line. Then they suppose they, the councilman said, listen, we've got to do something. Let's invoke a bunch of laws. And they invoked a bunch of laws. Well, when they invoked a bunch of laws, guess what? S crime increased. Violations increased. Tickets we get passed out right and left. What caused them to increase? Uh, you got more laws. Well, you got more sin, much more abounded of the law. But now, uh, if the law is done away with, uh, we have a system that removes, that is, forgives us of our sins, and uh, so grace abounds. It's all by the grace of God that he was willing to forgive us. And so sin necessitates grace. And sin also necessitates law. So really what you have, you have the canceling out of one or the other. It's a, it's a, it's a wash. You don't, if you don't have law, you can't have sin. If you can't have uh, uh, law, you need no grace. You need no forgiveness. Need no none of those things, and so it, it would be a wash. But if there's sin today, there's a law, and if there is uh, a law today, we need grace, and that's the reason that uh, he is so graciously provided for the removal of the guilt of breaking the law. Uh, furthermore, in our text, Jesus is the judge according to law. We noted James 2, uh, 12, So speak ye, and so do, that they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. Uh, again, these fellows say, we're not under law. And th let me tell you another way that they slightly get it in, their view, is they, they say, we are not to emphasize uh, obedience. We are to emphasize grace. And our point of emphasis ought to always be on grace and never on obedience. Why not a point of emphasis on both of them? On grace and obedience. Because obedience is response to grace. But nonetheless, uh, they are, they go together. And we have to realize that we are to be judged according to law. Speak and do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. We're judged by our words. Hence, the words are law. By his words, not our words, by his words. Hence, his words are law. Uh, John 4, 12, 48, judged by the words that I have spoken, the same to judge him in the last day. Uh, we're judged by the gospel. But the gospel is law. Notice in the Romans 2.16, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. We're going to be judged according to the gospel. We're going to be judged according to the perfect law of liberty. That means the gospel is the perfect law of liberty or part of that uh, law of liberty. Uh, we are going to be judged by deeds under the law. 
2 Corinthians 5, 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that which he has done, whether it be good or bad. We're going to be judged according to our deeds. Our deeds, if they enter into it, that means our deeds are either of the nature that they are keeping the law of God or they're not, or they're against the law of God. And again, the gospel is that by which we judge. We'll be judged by the perfect law of liberty. We'll be judged by law. It's, and we need to realize this. Sometimes people say, well, we'll because we're under the law of Christ, we'll not be judged as strictly as they were under the law of Moses. That's not necessarily so either. Uh, look at Hebrews chapter 2. How shall we escape if we elect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? How shall we escape if we elect so great salvation, first spoken by the Lord, confirmed to us by them that heard him? Sounds like that there's no escape. No escape if we neglect that great salvation. But one other passage in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 28. He despised Moses' law, die without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore or worse punishment, verse 29, suppose ye shall he be thought worthy, who trodden underfoot the Son of God, hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified, and unholy thing, and had done despite to the Spirit of grace, or as one translation says, has uh, not only done despite, but also insulted the uh, Spirit of grace. Then he says, For we know, verse 30, For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth to me, I repay, saith the Lord, and again, the Lord shall judge his people. So again, we are, the punishment will be worse than that of the law of Moses. If one willfully goes on sinning, doesn't repent of it, and doesn't turn from it. So Jesus, our lawgiver, he's also our judge. As our lawgiver, he will judge us by the perfect law of liberty. As our Savior, he has given us the perfect law of liberty by which we uh, are going to be judged so that we can conform to it the best that we can. And when we fall short of it, we can ask God and receive the forgiveness by His grace. But that doesn't mean that we are free from all law. We're free to be able to receive His mercy when we fall short of His law. So God expects us to obey His law or face His final judgment, his righteous judgment. Jesus is our lawgiver, and the New Testament is law. And we read from it, we uh, receive information from it that we're to obey, and we obey it. And we can rest assured, if we live in obedience to him, 
even though we come short and have to ask His forgiveness from time to time, that He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness.